You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Keith Sanderson, animal advocate, writer, and human companion to Max A. Pooch, canine crusader for animals and the environment. Max and I thank you for joining us, and we dedicate this episode as we dedicate every episode to those amazing people who work to save the lives and or improve conditions of companion, domestic, or wild animals. Today's guest is Kristen Ludwig of Grays Lake, Illinois. Kristen was so inspired by Nubs, the parakeet, that she started an organization that inspires children not to give up. The work that Kristen and her volunteers are doing is proof of the ability of animals to inspire and motivate us. We'll meet Kristen in a moment and learn the fascinating story of both Nubs, that's N-U-B-S, the parakeet, and Nubs, the organization. But first, a word from our sponsors. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Introducing the new Brett Michaels Pets Rock Collection, exclusively at PetSmart. I created it for the pets that rock your world. Shop the Brett Michaels Pets Rock Collection and celebrate PetSmart's 25th anniversary with up to 25% off thousands of items on the PetSmart site. Plus, free shipping on orders of $49 or more. Go to PetSmartDeal.com. That's PetSmartDeal.com. P-E-T-S-M-A-R-T-D-E-A-L.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates. I'm your host, Keith Sanderson, and with us today is Kristen Ludwig, founder and president of Nubs. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Keith. Thanks for having me. That's great. You know, I was really fascinated about the story. First of all, if you can share with our audience, what does the acronym Nubs stand for? Sure, I'd be glad to. Um, And most of the time, we do just go by Nubs. But NUBS actually stands for No Unwanted Birds. And we named our organization that because we wanted to honor NUBS the parakeet, but also because a lot of the animals we volunteer with are birds. And we wanted to give people the feeling and understanding that everyone on this planet, all creatures, are we're all part of one big flock, and that none of us is unwanted, even if sometimes we might feel that way. Well, that's great. I like your word flock because we really are, aren't we? All we sure are. <laughs> and what's the mission of NUBS? Our mission is to build resiliency in children. And we do that through the use of the animals that we work with. These animals all have a story and they've all given life a second chance. We consider them very brave. And uh, we want children to, to understand that message, too, and translate it to their own experiences. So we actually specialize in working with child survivors of abuse or trauma, but we work with a lot of other kids, too. We like to say that we're teaching kids to have bounce-backiness so that if something bad happens to them, they know that they can deal with it. Well, that's great. And I understand there's a little feather guy named Nubs. What's <laughs> his story? 
Yes, there, there is a feathered guy named Nubs. Nubs was rescued in the fall of 2012. He was found along with over 500 birds in the home of a hoarder. 500 um, birds? Over 500, yeah. Wow. Um, we were able to rescue 368 of those birds. Unfortunately, about 150 of those birds were already deceased by the time we got there. I was one of the volunteers for the rescue. And the first day that we were moving all of these hundreds of birds into a temporary shelter from this home, I noticed a very, very tiny, tiny kind of a washed out blue parakeet with only one foot. And he was cold and he was wet and you could tell he was really struggling to get around. But even so, he started showing off and he, he couldn't couldn't handle not getting my attention. He just started doing all kinds of little tricks and, and anything he could do to get me to look at him. And so right away I knew that he was my bird. I knew I had to have that bird. <laughs> so I had to wait about 30 days for his quarantine to be over and for my adoption paperwork to be processed. Even though I was a volunteer, I still went through the same process as everyone else, but he did get to come home with me. So that's sort of how it all began. But I, I was just very, very inspired by the idea of what this bird had been through and how horrible it was. But the first thing he did was look to a person to help him out. And I thought, wow, you know, if we could all do that, you know, we could really have something here. So I felt like I needed to share a story. That's incredible, but the story is even more because he has problems getting around, doesn't he, because he does. of his handicap? Yes, and his handicap is due to inbreeding. So um, the, the birds in that home are severely genetically inbred, and so it goes far beyond um, missing a foot. You know, he has a lot of health issues. He has a lot of health problems from being inbred, and so, yeah, his care is very significant. The medications he needs, the vet treatments he needs have been very, very significant, and it's been absolutely worth it every step of the way. You know, the, when I saw the picture of Nubs, it really struck me because, believe it or not, when I was a boy, I had a one-legged blue parakeet. <laughs> really? You yeah. had a Nubs, too. <laughs> yeah, his story was a little different. I was at a dime store one day, and over in the back in those days, they had pet departments. Mm -hmm. And there was a parakeet, and he had a big swollen foot. And and he was at the bottom of the cage. And so I asked about it, and they said, well, they were going to send him back, which we know all, all what that was. Sure. And so I said, well, could you give him away? And I think the clerk didn't really want to put him under, so she put him in a little box, and I took him home. And his foot fell off. And what had happened is it had been constricted by something and cut the circulation off. But anyway, he loved, I had made a big Ferris wheel out of an erector set, and he would sit there, and that's how he got his entertainment. He'd sit and go around and around on that Ferris wheel almost all day, just loved it. So when I saw Nubs, I said, wow, has uh, Pete been reincarnated? <laughs> now, how, well, I how guess long? you never know, huh? <laughs> right, right, you certainly don't. Now, how long has Nubs, the organization, been in existence? Well, we've been around about a year. We incorporated about a year ago, and we filed as a uh, nonprofit 501c4 social welfare organization. So we've been formal for about a year now. I want to digress for a moment because since you've just recently uh, filed to be a nonprofit, is that a complicated process? It depends on which route you take. You know, the, the trick is just to make sure you have all your legal 
ducks in a row and that, that you're very organized with your paperwork. And, you know, incorporating as a 501c3 is much more complicated and much more expensive. So it really just depends on, on understanding, defining who you are as an organization and just making sure that you have the right legal structure. But we felt it was very important from the beginning to have a legal structure. We did not want to kind of be one of these groups that are sort of out there but not filing the proper um, tax paperwork and, you know, we do take no donations. So we knew it was really important to be on the up and up. So, you know, how complicated or how expensive it becomes depends on what kind of organization you're going to be. But for us, you know, we we stay really on top of the paperwork and, and all that stuff. So it's worked well for us. I ask because I'm sure that many in our audience so who are animal advocates think about, you know, starting an organization and mm-hmm. wonder about uh, what it takes as far as the uh, legal work is concerned. And about how long did that process take you? Oh, I mean, it took months, you know, because we were sort of heading down one path of a 501c3 organization. Then we learned that for what we're doing, we really didn't have to go that route and um, because we're not a shelter, et cetera. So once we figured out who we were supposed to be, then it it was, you know, fairly quick, and I was able to do a lot of that work myself, but some of it was done through the help of attorneys. So, you know, I, I would say to plan to spend months on getting through it. And then, of course, then you hurry up and wait. You know, you send it all off to the IRS, and then you're on their clock. So, um, But what they suggest you do during that time is just to, you know, file your tax paperwork, um, do everything as if you are that organization, because they grandfather everything that happens during this time. Well, that's interesting, because I know um, so many times, as you said, the organizations really don't some organizations may not do that, and then they get into trouble. And, oh, yeah. yeah, and we're working with live animals. We're visiting children with live animals, so that means we have to carry our own liability insurance. Well, you need to have a tax number if you're going to carry that in- insurance to be able to get insurance. So it all kind of loops together where, you know, it's, it's important. And, yeah, we don't, we don't want to get in trouble with the government or anybody, so we, we try to follow all the rules pretty closely. Well, that's uh, really interesting. Now, how old is Nubs, do you think, at this point? Not the organization, but... Uh, yeah, the bird, yeah. When I bird. when I first took him to the vet, we estimated his age at being about a year old. So that would mean at this point that he would be a little over um, two. And again, that's just a rough estimation based on looking at the full scope of, of a very large flock, seeing how small he is and his handicaps means he's actually one of the youngest because he's one of the most inbred. And so based on that, plus his feather quality and some of his markings, we've, we think he's one of the youngest ones to come out of that house. You said 500 birds and 300 yeah, were 500. rescued. What happened to the other ones? Yes. Well, the 150 were already dead in the home. So right. we removed every live bird out of the house, and that, there were 368 live birds in the house that we were able to remove. And where did they go? Individual adopters? or um, No, actually about 300 or so went to the Washington Park Zoo in Michigan City, Indiana. They have a very large aviary there, and they hadn't stocked it yet. So that's where most of the flock went. And then, to me, that ended up being the best solution for them. This was a wild flock. They had never been around people. They had formed family groups. And they have their own society going. And so to as much as possible, we try to preserve the flock and leave them together. There were birds like nubs. There were about, you know, maybe a couple dozen birds like nubs that for a variety of injuries, health issues, handicaps, 
did need to be placed with individual private homes. Those were almost all adopted by people who actually had been volunteers in the rescue. So I actually took two of the birds. I took nubs and another handicapped bird as well. So all of those birds that couldn't go with the flock did go into private homes, but never individually. They were always at least in a pair so that they weren't all by themselves because they were used to living with a very large flock. Wow. Wow. That's a, well, it's a happy ending to that story, though, because uh, it's probably very unlikely that you'd find a place to put so many birds and keep them together. It was a really good solution for them. And, and you know, none of these birds will be very long-lived. Again, they, they all come from a very, very unclean, unhealthy environment, and they were tremendously inbred. And so none of them will have a long life but we just want the rest of their life to have the highest quality that it can. And so I think we've, we have managed that. Well, that's great. What is the Nubs Squad? The Nubs Squad is our group of volunteers in the Chicagoland area. We visit all kinds of places. We visit group foster homes, libraries, schools. And our goal is to bring animals out that are trained and qualified to do this kind of work to come out and meet with kids live. And all of our volunteers are trained to do this kind of work. We're trained to work with both kids and with the animals. And we have really strict rules around our, our visits just to make sure that even though everyone's having a really fun time, we want to make sure our mission gets across as well, the resiliency building message. And we also want to make sure that everyone's safe. And that's really first and foremost that the animals are comfortable and happy and safe and that the kids are comfortable and happy and safe. So that's what we, what we strive to do. Kristen, we need to take a break right now, but when we return, if you could share with us what happens when the Nub Squad makes an appearance, I think our audience would be interested in hearing you. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. I'm not much of a reader, but I do wish I were more well-read. There are so many great books coming out. I wish I could find a way to keep up. Audible.com makes it easy to stay well-informed and catch up on your reading simply by listening. Audiobooks from Audible turn downtime into uptime. You'll be more productive and become well-read. Now I'm able to catch up on all the great books I've been wanting to read. With Audible, I feel smarter. Pet Life Radio listeners, try Audible.com now and get your first 30 days of Audible Listener Gold Membership plan free. And get a free audiobook. Choose from over 100,000 titles. To get this great deal, go to audibledeals.com. That's audibledeals.com. Hi, this is Tim Link, animal communicator and pet expert and host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have you ever wanted to know what your pet is really thinking? Do you want to find out if they truly understand what you're trying to tell them? Ever wish you could build a better understanding and closer relationship with your pet? Well, now you can. Learning to communicate with animals is a four-part on-demand workshop. In the workshop, you'll learn the essential techniques that are necessary to communicate with animals, including what is animal communication, breathing correctly to achieve the perfect state to communicate with your animals at a deeper level, using guided meditation exercises and method to communicate with animals, and how to send and receive information from your animals. So if you're wanting to learn how to communicate and connect with your animals at a deeper level, visit PetLifeRadio.com forward slash workshop and purchase and download Learning to Communicate with Animals. You'll be glad you did. 
Hi, this is Marcy Davis and my service dog, Whistle, and we're your hosts of Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Working Like Dogs is the show where you can learn everything you ever wanted to know about working animals or working dogs. Whether you're a member of a working dog team or you've just seen a working dog or animal out at the mall or the grocery store and you're curious about how these amazing animals work with their human partners, then Working Like Dogs is the show for you. Join us for the inside scoop at Working Like Dogs on PetLifeRadio.com. Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates. I'm Keith Sanderson with today's guest, Kristen Ludwig, founder of Nubs. Kristen, before our break, we were talking about the Nub Squad. What is it that you hope to accomplish when you and your uh, fellow volunteers make an appearance? And what can the audience expect? Well, when we make an appearance, the number one thing that I'm hoping to accomplish is that people will hear the resiliency message and that they'll really take that in. Our animals are fantastic role models that when you go through something really hard, if you can hang on to some hope and reach out for help when you need it, that you can be okay again. Or maybe, like in the case of nubs, maybe you can just be okay for the first time ever. Our audiences can expect a a fun environment, but a very safe environment. We typically start off by introducing the squad, and then one of our volunteers will read the nubs book, and then we will have an audience participation discussion about what that book means. And this is where we really get the resiliency building across. At that point, we do allow people to come up and meet the animals and ask questions. Some of the animals can be held or touched, but it just depends on what that animal is comfortable with. So we always let people know about that animal before they approach them so that we can just make sure that it's handled safely and respectfully to that animal. And we just hope that they're going to walk away inspired. And, you know, they'll be excited about the cute animals that they saw, but more importantly, we hope that that message is going to come home with them. What kind of animals are they? I think you said they're mostly birds. And, we have mostly uh, birds, yeah. But we also have a wonderful, wonderful tortoise named Sprout, who was, and again, these aren't all my personal pets. These are the animals that are part of this volunteer group. But he is a tortoise who was given up because he got too large for his family, so they, they got rid of him. And one of our volunteers has adopted him. I recently adopted a pig and um, <laughs> that needed a home. <laughs> And so he is in training to join the squad. So we don't mix predator and prey. So we don't bring, even though I do have therapy dogs, my therapy dogs don't visit with my therapy birds. Even though in our home they do just fine, we don't bring them out in public together. So this isn't just about birds. We have mostly birds, but other animals will make appearances as well. But we never mix predator and prey just out of safety. What kind of birds? Are they parrots or crows or? Oh, no, they're all companion birds. And and there's a pretty wide range. So we have we have a parrotlet, we have a green cheek conure, we have an Indian ringneck, we have I think every single bird now that I'm thinking about it on the squad is a different species. I don't think we have any duplication right now in our species. Um, not that we mind, but we have, yeah, and they all kind of do different things. They all sort of have their own different tricks that they like to do, or one of them does a little flight show. Um, so they all they all sort of they have very unique personalities, and, and it's, a, it's a fun thing seeing them all come out together. 
Well, it sounds it. It sounds it. Now, I understand that you don't travel long distances or fly with nubs, the parakeet. Why is that? Yeah, no, no, we don't. I don't mind coming, you know, I, as a just as a human speaker, I have gone further distances, but visits that involve the animals, we keep them close by and we keep them short enough just so to not induce any stress to any of them. And Nubs himself never comes out on visits. It would be too risky to his health to do that. But for our, our healthier animals, it's just important to us that we only volunteer with animals who genuinely enjoy meeting people and that they are very comfortable with being in the kind of environments that we're in. So their health and safety and happiness is always first of mind. We're, we're not a traveling animal show. These are our beloved pets first and foremost. So that's why we, we don't go too far with them. Well, that's understandable, although I'm sure a lot of people can be disappointed by realizing... <laughs> they got to come to us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I understand also that you're coming out with a new book. Can you tell us a bit about it? Well, the new book is still a secret, but I have a few things I can share with you. I can tell you that it is about a different bird than nubs. It's not about nubs. And this bird also has a, a very special story to tell. And I think the new book is going to be pretty phenomenal. It is still a photo book, like the Nubs book, but we worked with five different artists to create the sets. And the sets are just amazing. So the few people who have seen a few shots from the book are just stunned that it's not Photoshop, that it's really the bird, really in these sets. And it's very, very cool. And it tells a whole new story. So this book will launch in May, and we'll actually start pre-orders in late April. And people will be able to pre-order that through our website. And what's your website? Oh, our current website is www.nounwantedbirds.org. But after April 21st, we're going to move to a whole new website. It's, it's going to be great. And it's called www.houseofnubs.org. So we're moving to a new URL. And that is the houseofnubs.org is where you'll be able to order the new book. And it'll be right on the homepage. You just click and there you go. So, yeah, that's where people are going to be able to find us. Yeah, and that's where your first book can also be found? Yes, yes. Both books will be able to be found there. And also, you know, we our Facebook page is very, very popular with our fans. And so um, there are also links there. But that's a fun experience, too, to, if you wanted to see videos on the bird and learn more about us. Our YouTube channel and our Facebook page are great places to do to look at in addition to our website. And for those in our audience who may not be familiar with your first book, can you tell us a bit about it? Oh, the first book is the story of Nubs. So it is the story of his his rescue, his time in the shelter, me and Nubs meeting each other, and his ultimate home with me. So it's a children's book. It's a full-color photography book. It's it's beautifully photographed by um, a photographer named Kelly Andre, and it's our story. So it's a true story. It's written for kids. We're careful around the whole bird hoarding issue, but it is written for children. And But we have kids of all ages buying that book. I have six-year-old kids buying that book all the time. So it's been pretty popular for all, all ages, and I think it's a really beautifully done book. And again, that can be found at your website? Correct, yeah. Hey, Kristen, I ask each of my guests this question. With all the human misery in the world, how can one justify using time, money, and resources advocating for animals? Well, I think it's a great question. I think, first of all, we're all creatures on the same planet. So people, animal, birds, we're all in this together. So we need to look out for each other regardless. Personally, I could see advocating for whales as much as what I'm doing today. So to me, life is life. 
And, you know, our mission, obviously, is we're advocating for children. We're doing resiliency building for children. But obviously, we also clearly support animal rescue and adoption, and we think sharing those stories are important. I think any time that you're working with animals, you have the opportunity to build empathy in people for those animals. So even though technically we're there to work with children and build resiliency in them, just by the fact that we have animals with us, we're also building their empathy for animals. And I think we'll probably make them more responsible, be it a pet owner or whatever they do in life, that they would be more in touch with the feelings of animals in the future. So we kind of attack both sides probably. And so we're, you know, we're utilizing animals for this purpose, but we're also showing children how to be respectful of them. So I guess we're kind of a blend of all this. But even if we were 100% whales, I don't think you can separate what you should be doing for any creature on this planet. That's a great answer. And I think, you know, for those cynics who wonder about why people advocate for animals, what you're doing is proof of how they can inspire and motivate, in your case, children. But humans throughout the ages have always been inspired and motivated by the animals and their struggles and triumphs. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. And an underdog is an underdog. So whether you're a rescued bird or a foster kid or, you know, whatever it is, you know, it should be intuitive in each of us to want to help that creature. I don't care what kind of creature it is. So that's kind of how we look at the world. Now, so were you with a shelter or a volunteer for shelter or bird rescue or what before you uh, became involved in nubs? Well, I've been doing work with therapy animals for for a number of years, and that was really mostly dogs. And so I've always had a a real interest in animal behavior and animal training. And, and I've always found that with my own animals, by rescuing an animal and then giving them a job, giving them a purpose, that it helps their rehabilitation even more. And so that's kind of how I got involved with this sort of thing. The way I got involved with birds specifically was I was driving my car listening to the radio and I heard about this man who had been arrested for having 500 birds in his house and I heard that there was a local group that was trying to get in and help and didn't have enough volunteers. So I just called them. So I literally just walked in off the street on the first day and I ended up working, you know, every day that the shelter was open. Um, They just didn't have enough people. So, you know, but it just shows that anybody can jump in and help anytime that they want to. And it doesn't take doesn't always take money to help, you know, that sometimes it's just your time and your passion. So that's how I got exposed to specifically birds. And then after that, I got called for a number of other rescues and things like that. But our organization is not a rescue. We're not a shelter. We get people asking me to take their animals a lot, but we don't do that, nor do we help people adopt animals. So there are many, many great shelters around who can help people do that. Our mission is a little different. I would say so. It's really a blend uh, that I think our listeners can find very interesting. And may I ask, when you're not doing your NUBS volunteer work, what's your daytime job? Oh, I'm actually a marketing manager for a bioscience corporation. So we're the good guys of pesticides and agricultural products. So we make products that are safe on um, bees and beneficial insects and we're the things that when you're you're buying that organic apple in the in the market, you can bite into safely because of us. So we're, we're controlling pests, but we're doing it in a way that's safe to the environment. So um, that's that's my day job. <laughs> and I guess that's proof that you know if you uh, love animals and want to step forward and volunteer or people or whatever, that uh, no matter what your background is, there's certainly a place that you can use your talents. Do you agree with that? Oh, yeah, 
You know, absolutely. I mean, I don't talk about it much on the Facebook page or anything, but, you know, I do work a full-time job. I'm also a single mom, you know, but what you can do is you can say, okay, this is this is part of our family, too, you know, and so it's about setting up a culture in your own home of responsibility to the planet and the creatures on it and just making that part of your day-to-day. You know, I don't take a lunch break. I work on nubs. You know, I work on that organization on that lunch break. So, you know, yeah, I mean, if you're willing to just give up a little bit of your time that you might have been sitting around watching a movie or watching TV anyway and invest that back into this world, you know, you can do a lot. Again, where can our listeners learn more information about nubs? Our new website will be www.houseofnubs.org. That's launching in just about a week or so here, April 22nd. In the meantime, we're at noonewantedbirds.org. The Facebook page is just called Nubs. And so if you just put in Nubs and look for a little blue parakeet sitting in a director's chair, that's us. We've got a very, very loyal fan base, and we have a blast on that page if you're on Facebook. And we do a lot of our um, videos on YouTube. So you, you can see a lot of different videos there. And, and again, we just try to make it light and have a really fun time. So that's kind of all the spots you can see us out there. That's great. And I hope uh, our listeners take a look because some of the things you do are really, I mean, everything you do is really fascinating. And can you believe it, Kristen? Time's up. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's gone so fast. Thanks so much for being with us. What you're doing is wonderful. I think it's another example of why animals are so special. And Max A. Pooch gives you and your volunteers and nubs five big tail wagging wolves for a job well done. <laughs> Who could ask for more than that? Thank you so much. <laughs> you're welcome. We want to thank you, our listeners, for spending your valuable time with us. You're all fantastic, and we hope you tell your friends about Awesome Animal Advocates. And a special thanks to Mark Winter, co-founder and executive producer of Pet Life Radio, and our sponsors for making this episode of Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates possible. I'm Keith Sanderson, host and creator of Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates, saying... Thank you to all those animal advocates who work so hard on behalf of those who can't speak for themselves. Max A. Pooch gives them five big tail-wagging woofs. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.